0: Note that this episode of Bits and Bricks contains instances of misuse of the LEGO trademark, which must always be used as an adjective and never a noun. As a reminder, it is never appropriate to refer to the company that designs and produces LEGO brand products as LEGO. Rather, the correct name for the company overall is the LEGO Group. I hope that was severe enough. Was it severe enough?
1: Yeah, that was great, Ben.
0: We got it. All right. On with the show.
1: Bits and bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things LEGO games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of LEGO games, chat with
0: early developers and seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the LEGO Group.
1: Hey, Brian. Hey, Ethan. How's it going? Good. Welcome back. Here we are, season four. Can you believe it? Yeah. You know, this is a little bittersweet. This
0: is going to be our last season, our last nine episodes oh, man. of a more than year long run of Lego games podcasts, which yeah. I've loved making with you.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing to think back about how you and I started on this journey at telling the story of LEGO games and, and how our ideas grew from, you know, these kind of one-off deliverables to an actual podcast series, you know? Um, now we're, what, 38 episodes deep into highlighting this library of video games that has amassed over the past 25 years, and with Season 4, it still feels like we're only starting to scratch the surface.
0: Yeah, there's so much left. And, you know, this week... We're going to be talking about a tiny studio making a tiny game that spearheaded a very big
1: idea at LEGO Games. That's right. LEGO Tower, which hit in the summer of 2019, was LEGO Games' first attempt to appeal to the massive older audience found within the world of video games. It's also the first mobile game released by The Lego Group after that arm of The Lego Group reworked its strategy for games. Under this new approach, The Lego Group's mobile games were designed to represent the brand as a whole, The very notion of the Lego toys and everything it stands for, rather than one particular theme set.
0: Lego Tower, like Builder's Journey that would follow about six months later, was an attempt to create an evergreen game that represented the play patterns of creativity and building that's at the heart of the Lego group and everything it makes. And it all started with two
1: brothers who loved to play video games. Ian and David Marsh grew up being very enthusiastic about video games, much to their parents' chagrin. While still in high school, David started developing his own modification of popular first-person shooter Counter-Strike. One of his creations, a map, found its way into a commercial release before the two graduated high school. Eventually, both of them found themselves working at a small game studio focused on cranking out traditional cell phone games. This was before smartphones like the iPhone dominated the market.
0: Ian tells us that when the iPhone hit, he started messing around with it and ended up creating a little puzzle game that pulled in millions of downloads. Soon, he tried his hand at tweaking it and releasing it as a paid app.
2: It started making more money than my day job. So I asked my then-fiancé whether I should quit my job and go into iPhone development full-time. And she said, now's the best time to make a decision like that. Since I was still young and, and we were just getting married and didn't have kids. So I started making iPhone games on my own. My brother David actually started Nimblebit aside from that and put out a kart racing game on Steam called Zero Gear. Zero Gear! Which ended up being kind of a flop. But I ended up joining him to focus on mobile game development soon after that. And that's when. Nimblebit really got started doing what we're known for today, which is mobile game development. After Zero Gear, the duo developed a game called
1: Pocket Frogs, which had players breeding and selling virtual frogs. It was the brothers' first game, designed from the beginning to be a free-to-play title, which was a new idea at the time in the mobile market. They decided to make their next game another free-to-play title and were enthralled with the pixel art look of a game called Fez, Especially the look of the 8-bit hero, Ian said. They wanted to use the art style in their new title and decided to try applying it to a restaurant management game.
2: When we were mocking up the artwork and displaying it on the iPhone, we tried first to do it in a landscape orientation because that was a good fit for you know a single floor of a building. But we were also trying to mock it up in a portrait view, and we started noticing that we could kind of stack multiple floors on this restaurant And it would be in a very natural shape for holding the iPhone up in a portrait view. And so then we started thinking, well, why couldn't we go even higher? It doesn't make sense to have a 20-story restaurant. So what if we thought of each floor as a completely different business or apartment? And from there, it kind of grew naturally into the tiny tower we know today.
0: Two worked on the game over the next six months or so and then released Tiny Tower in June 2011 to very little fanfare. In the diminutive Business Simulator, players manage a tower that houses apartments for a growing number of tiny citizens known as Bitsons. The goal of the game is to attract more Bitsons who can move into the apartments, fill jobs at businesses, and go about their lives in the various shops. Each floor is an apartment or one of the eclectic mix of businesses from coffee shops to laundromats
1: to fortune tellers. While the game had a strong start, Ian said it wasn't really something to take notice of. That was until it suddenly started receiving a lot of mass media attention. Wired, The New York Times, Time, Paste, all started writing about the little game made by two brothers. Then at the end of the year, the game was named the iPhone Game of the Year by Apple. Just as it seemed that Tiny Tower couldn't get any more attention, David and Ian had a run-in with the massive game developer and publisher, Zynga.
2: That's where most people really have heard of Nimblebit, uh, for better or worse. But someone, I think, sent us a link to this app made by Zynga, which was being soft-launched in, I think, the Canadian app store. And uh, it was close to a one-to-one copy of Tiny Tower and all its mechanics, just with a more cartoon style. And we were young and snarky, so we, we posted a public letter.
1: Dear Zynga,
2: all
0: 2,789 of you, we noticed you were about to launch a new iPhone game called Dream Heights. Congratulations! We wanted to thank all you guys for being such big fans of our iPhone game of the year, Tiny Tower. Tiny Tower. Good luck with your game. We're looking forward to inspiring you with our future games. Sincerely, all three of us, Nimblebit. The callout sparked a bit of a public feud between the Marsh brothers and Mark Pincus, CEO of Zynga at the time. It also led to a massive amount of attention for the studio and the game. The Zynga game quietly disappeared, but Tiny Tower continued to grow, and soon companies were approaching Nimblebit about creating themed spinoffs for the game. The first was Disney, which was interested in seeing if the Tiny Tower concept could be applied to the Death
2: Star. The issue was that we didn't have the resources to develop it ourselves, because we didn't want to hire a bunch of people, and we were still just three guys at that point. We had hired one of our friends from high school, Tim. So we decided to just license the Tiny Tower IP to Disney, and they developed the whole thing in-house, The unfortunate part of that was that after Disney Mobile restructured their operations about six months later, uh, it became a casualty and they didn't want to support it anymore. So uh, it was taken off the store.
1: The 2013 release of Star Wars Tiny Death Star was followed by the release of Tiny Tower Vegas in 2014. While the small studio continued to support Tiny Tower, With a major 10-year anniversary update hitting over the summer of 2021 and the last update hitting just two months ago, they also started to shift their focus to other games like Disco Zoo, Letterpad, and Words Royale. But in 2016, a random piece of fan art would set the stage for Nimblebit to return to the Tiny Tower idea with some interesting twists.
2: Someone sent us a link to a Flickr user named Warm Hand Sanitizer who had posted renders he had made of tiny tower floors imagined in Lego bricks. And they were just awesome to see, and everyone who saw them went crazy for them. And we thought it was really cool, but you know we didn't think there was anything to do with it except for tell them how cool it was. As Ian David and the other one or two
0: who made up Nimblebit at the time continued to create small, memorable, playful experiences on the iPhone, they were garnering the attention of a growing fan base at the Lego Group. In the spring of 2017, the International Toy Company contacted the studio and asked if they'd be interested in creating a game for the Lego Group. Specifically, they told Nimblebit they were exploring a new approach to mobile games, Ian said.
2: They made it obvious that they wanted to make... Games that stood on their own and weren't simply advertisements for existing Lego products. Originally, they kept the slate pretty blank. Uh, I know we pitched them probably three or four ideas, mostly Lego versions of some of our pre-existing games.
1: Among the pitches were Lego brick versions of Pocket Planes and Pocket Trains. But it was the pitch for a new take on Tiny Tower that really stood out. And that's in large part thanks to that Flickr user with the unforgettable pre-COVID handle, warm hand sanitizer, and their fan creations.
2: We included these tiny tower floors that had been reimagined in Lego brick form, and I think they really sealed the deal as to what kind of game we were going to go forward with because it looked like such a natural fit just from the beginning. Abhinav Sarangi
1: joined the Lego Group in 2018 after running a small indie studio in India for six years. And the first thing he was asked to do was work on this new take on Tiny Tower,
3: Lego Tower. When we started talking to them, we were trying to find what is the best way to uh, take some of the learnings from their work with Tiny Tower, but also to figure out how it works as a Lego game. So that was one of the things coming from the prototyping phase and to the phase when I started was figuring out how we take the heart of the experience that they had developed in Tiny Tower and fuse it with the core of Lego play and then come up with something uh, which is its own thing and can be a true product uh, which uh, works for both uh, the audience that they had as uh, Tiny Tower fans, but also for all the LEGO fans that we have, uh, we have a product which works for the LEGO fans.
1: LEGO Tower was to be the first game released under this new approach by LEGO Games to not just publishing games, but identifying developers that should work on those titles,
3: Abinoff said. So the start of this change of process was uh, the idea that to make the best games Uh, we have to have a product-first approach. Games are a tricky business to succeed in. And uh, working on a product-first basis where you actually understand what the players want, you actually figure out what play needs the players have and how you serve those play needs with the product. I think that comes first. And part of that strategy was identifying partners uh, like Nimblebit, who have a great understanding of their audience and who have a good understanding of what makes a product a good product. Uh, So LEGO Tower from that perspective was one of our first experiments of being product-led, steeped in understanding a play need and then delivering that play need to the players. The
0: game was also in development at a time when the LEGO Group was starting to become more aware of just how big its audience of older fans was, Abenoff said. These were fans who had been following the company for three, four, or even five decades, and were still very much into everything connected
3: to the LEGO brand. We didn't have a lot of digital products uh, to cater to these fans. One of the things which, talking to uh, Tiny Tower, we were uh, really surprised and pleasantly surprised to learn was that players who had been playing the game for the whole lifetime of the game, so at that point, seven, eight years since the launch of the game. So they had actually players who started playing the game when they were teenagers, and they were still playing the game as they became adults and that started this notion of how do we develop this product which one kind of like continue the journey of a player as they play but also cater to these older segment of Lego fans uh, who we interact with through our AFOL channels who we interact with under social media and have a product which works for them Part of the journey of actually discovering what Lego Tower could be was working closely with the AFOL media, going to the different events uh, uh, that we went to where we could interact with them, get their feedback and uh, really trying and making sure that we have a product which works for the younger audiences, but also for the older audiences who want to still interact with the brand. With all of this in mind, the Lego Group set to
0: work with Nimblebit, helping that studio translate the gameplay and look of Tiny Tower into something that would fit within the Lego DNA.
3: We still had to go on a on a journey to understand, figure out, work with our audience and uh, some of the older fans of Lego to kind of like really understand what it is about the game which would would work the best uh, for them. As an example, uh, where we went a lot deeper. Then where Tiny Tower was, and we could do because of the the nature of the IP, was in the customization options that we could give to the players. Uh, We could customize the lobby of the game, the lift, the topper you put. You could customize the residents by collecting the different pieces, uh, the minifigure residents that you have in the game. So we went really deep into the customization aspect of it and that came from the insight from just understanding that a lot of lego play is about uh, storytelling uh, and storytelling through actually building things and building things your own way so you know that's just an example of you know how we tried to really make sure this product works for the lego audience as well
1: lego tower was clearly never meant to be a simple reskinning of tiny tower there were a number of major changes in functions designed around the LEGO theme and core approach to play added to this new product, Abhinav said.
3: The visual identity which uh, LEGO brings, that was one thing which really helped us in setting this apart from the original game. Another thing that we did was, because of the, the nature of minifigure and the collectibility which comes with minifigures, we could go really deep into the collection aspect where players can collect the different head, torso, uh, leg uh, pieces for their minifigures. They can trade uh, those pieces with their friends. That's something which we found was a really good indicator for engagement where where we saw players essentially engaging with other players in the community by trading those pieces. Another thing was we had this aspect, of uh, gameplay which was around essentially a unique minifigure that you had to unlock which was again steeped in the minifigure line and these unique minifigures they gave you bonuses essentially so that you know you could uh, level up your towers faster. So there were a few things like these which really helped bring something new to this genre of games and to this uh, type of gameplay which uh, the players and fans were familiar with.
1: As with other LEGO smartphone games of this era, the developers also had to come up with the right way to monetize the game. The team used the same fair and transparent approach used by the TT Games team on LEGO Star Wars
3: Battles. We came up with something which uh, worked well for the audience, uh, gave a lot of value to the audience, uh, and uh, Nimblebit was happy about that. Uh, I, I can talk about one of the examples here. We launched something called a VIP pass in the game, And the VIP pass, uh, it sounds like a battle pass. So you could buy a VIP pass for a specific number of days, either a week, a month, or a year uh, when the game launched. And when you bought it for a year, it was not just a calendar year, but it was based on the number of days that you played. So if you came into the game and you played for more than five minutes, we would count it as one day. So if you come into the game and only play for two minutes, you actually didn't get a day cut off from your... 365-day purchase, and that, we felt, was something which was really valuable to the players. We had a lot of early players really jump into it, and in an update last year, we actually removed the need for 365 days, so we made the VIP pass, a uh, lifetime pass, uh, into the game, and that was also, I think, well received by the community.
0: As the team was working toward launch, they also relied heavily on playtesting. Specifically, the LEGO group wanted to make sure it could engage with the older fans of LEGO bricks and get their feedback about the game and what changes would make the most sense.
3: One of the avenues for that was a LEGO Ideas contest that we ran before the launch of the game. The LEGO Tower LEGO Ideas contest was one where uh, we supplied a template for a tower. So we said the tower in LEGO Tower is uh, 9 bricks high. It is uh, 32 studs wide. It is 12 studs deep. So within these constraints, can you build a floor of your choice? It could be a business floor. It could be a, a residential floor and submit it. That contest was very successful. We had more than 550 entries Uh, which at that point was one of the highest uh, entries in a LEGO Ideas Contest. Through that engagement and just being part of that community, we got a lot of great ideas around what kind of floors they want to see. Uh, We actually selected six winners and included them in the game itself uh, when we launched. So the LEGO Ideas Contest was a great way for us to get a sense from the community itself and make the community part of the development of the project in a very natural way. That also allowed us to really build the template for a tower.
0: Among the biggest takeaways from those fan events was that the game needed to be a bit easier to get into, and that players may need a bit more instruction on how to play the first time they tried LEGO Towers. They also discovered that despite aiming for an older audience, the game was attracting a lot of young players.
3: One of the things which we learned early on is that the moment we put the red Lego logo onto a game, we do attract significant portion of the younger audiences. And uh, having significant portion of younger audiences meant that we had to make the game easier to understand as fast as possible. We are talking about attention spans, which uh, especially in mobile gaming, they don't last long. So making sure that we have a streamlined early user onboarding process which can explain the game quickly, as quickly as possible to the players was really important to us. And that took us a few iterations to really get right. As a simulation game, there are a lot of systems in LEGO Tower uh, as also in Tiny Tower. So trying and understanding what is the best way to teach all these different systems and not just teach them as at one go at the start of the game was important. So, uh, you know, having a great onboarding was really uh, important for us uh, early on. Another thing was customization, the ability for players to really make a tower their own way. So, you know, customize it as much as they can. Also, the minifigures, customizing it as much as they can, that was really important. So, we had to really scale up the amount of uh, options that we give to the players in terms of you know uh, what uh, toppers they would have access to what lifts they would have access to what lobbies they would have access to and how many pieces minifigure pieces they would have access to uh, so they can so the players can really go uh, deep into the customization aspect and really make a tower their own i think those were the two big things that we had to focus on and really get right uh, based on the feedback from the game
1: So Brian, as you know, Abhinav was telling us, before LEGO Tower launched, there was this online LEGO Ideas contest. You know, it started on March 26, 2019, and ran for a little over a month. Uh, This was a digital event, meaning LEGO fans and contestants were asked to build digitally, right? Yeah, that's right. They they were encouraged to use LEGO Digital
0: Designer, but they could also submit their digital floor creations using other third-party tools. The idea was that the winner's floor would then be integrated and displayed in the game. when LEGO Tower went live. Uh, But it wasn't just that that they were competing for. There were also a bunch of other prizes. Uh, In addition to being in the game, the winner also got uh, the LEGO Creator Corner Garage set, the LEGO Ideas Ship in a Bottle model. Yeah, that one's awesome. Man, I love it. Me too. A $200 shopping spree certificate yeah. and even a special unlock feature in the soon-to-be-released LEGO Tower game, uh, something that we now know was an exclusive tower topper for the game. That's right. Uh, so ultimately, some of the winners and some of the sort of highlights of this of this contest included a, a floor that was a dinosaur museum. Yep. There was this old gold mine. We, we got one that looked like the inside of a pirate ship. Uh, there was a monster room. There was a bike shop and,
1: of course, a capsule hotel. Yes. To me, there's like no doubt in my mind. They're winners, they're really unique. They have, you know, embraced all the many flavors of of LEGO styles. And man, just really cool to look at. So, um, if that digital online competition wasn't enough to create buzz for the game, the LEGO Games team put together yet another event in the summer of 2019. June twenty first to June twenty third, to be exact. And uh, what was cool is I happened to be in Billund during that exact time, Brian. I was I was filming and I was able to interview some of the folks from the Lego Games team. And yeah, it was all staged at the Lego House in Billund, Denmark. And I spoke to uh, Edgaras Lercincas, who uh, at the time was the associate marketing manager at Lego Games and the marketing lead for Lego Tower. So. I just talked to him about this ambitious goal they had at the end of the three-day building event that took place there.
4: It's an awesome event, it's a big event. I mean, we have lots of people here for three days at LEGO House. They are building LEGO Tower, two sections. You can play the game, you can also build it. So you can build digitally, build physically with bricks, so it's all about building all the weekend. They would uh, get the floor from the table, they pick the bricks they like, they put the minifigures in, they slide into the floors they like, put it on the the stands there in the center, and that's how we build uh, more than 500 of these for the largest LEGO brick diorama.
1: So as families were coming in to visit the LEGO house during the summer break, you know, keep in mind, this is 2019, you know, there's this large entrance kind of square meeting area, and there are several tables filled to the brim with LEGO bricks and minifigs, and then these pre-built floor dioramas. And just, Brian, this, the gravitational pull to this area was tremendous. I bet. Yeah, I mean, not only were families, you know, kind of lured into going there, yeah. but also uh, LEGO employees from right across the street from LEGO headquarters. And later on, you know, even fans came there. And I talked to Sean McAvoy, who's the vice president of LEGO Games, about this as well.
5: This event really brings together the two crucial aspects of what we're doing. So as you can see, everybody is, is really engaged in building, and then just behind that, we've got our setup with all of the devices that have LEGO Tower playing on them. So folks can seamlessly integrate between that building experience physically and playing the new LEGO Tower game. So it's really bringing together those two worlds, physical building and digital building, all in one spot.
1: Abhinav was also there. He was at the LEGO Tower game area, and uh, he would help kids as they finished you know, putting their diorama onto the tower and kind of putting it in the slot, and they would come over and then immediately check out the game.
3: Oh, cool. And you can do
1: the same with, uh, with this. And so uh, Abhinav uh, told me a little bit about that process and what that was like to work with the kids and, and to see them go from the physical to the digital as well.
3: One of the things which was really interesting for me or really insightful was the creativity, which can come from constraints. So if you just see a pile of Lego bricks, it can be overwhelming at first. You don't know what to build. But the moment you have like a template, which was the template that we had provided, we had pre-made four floors and there was like an empty floor where you could fit in your floor and then stand next to it and take a picture. I think that really helped uh, kickstart the creative process for a lot of uh, the fans uh, who were in LEGO House. So the moment they saw, okay, if I put three or four things, three or four small builds like a uh, like a sofa, like a table or a, or a bed. I can have something and I can build from there. I think that really helped kickstart the process for a lot of people. And then by the end of the first day, when we had already started building up the diorama, on the second day when fans came in, they could see that there were already these uh, things which people had built. And it was just easier for them to then relate to that and build something on their own. So I think the creativity through constraints was something which was really interesting for me to see when I was
4: a little child this
1: is Edgar speaking.
4: I mean the first things I built was towers tall towers, wireless towers I want to put my minifigures in you know in place where I can live and you know foster and grow right. So that's this mini city and that's exactly what we're trying to build. It's a giant city of towers and that's what a game is all about you know building a tall tower you know inhabiting your, your citizens and uh, you know we see a clear connection.
1: As I mentioned all of this took place in the Lego house known as the home of the brick which is this incredible building it's, it's built like 21 giant Lego bricks kind of stacked and balanced on each other and the facade is covered in tiles that look like classic 2x4 Lego bricks and, and inside is almost 130,000 square feet or 12,000 square meters and it's filled with 25 million Lego bricks uh, you have these waterfalls that are built out of bricks giant animals, plants Uh, They have the fish tank that we've talked about, too, in in previous episodes. But if you haven't been there, it's definitely worth the trip. And I mention all of this, of course, because I had the privilege to talk to Jesper Wildstrup, who is the managing director of the LEGO House. And he talked to me about holding the LEGO Tower event there.
5: Well, I think the LEGO House is a fantastic place to host events. And we love when our colleagues and the rest of the LEGO group, when they want to use the house as a home, to get some, you can say, more activity, some more life here in the LEGO Square as well. So, uh, I mean, we love having events here. Well, the thing we love the most about it...
1: This is Sean speaking.
5: ...is the fact that you can customize your own LEGO tower, build your own floors, bring in your own minifigures, and really have that ultimate experience of customization throughout the entire play experience. So, fluid play, bringing together physical and digital in one single play session, and we feel like an event like this brings those together
4: in a really interesting way as well. Yeah, on Sunday, we have uh, Guinness World of Records coming to measure the, the
1: record. This is Edgar speaking again.
4: We plan to hit uh, the current record of uh, 17 square meters. So that will, uh, in numbers, that will be more than 500 of uh, module builds. We have elevators next to it, like there is in the game. We have toppers. The amount of work behind the scenes that we have uh, invested.
1: Here, Sean again.
5: As a team, um, Edgaris and Danny and Abanov and Sandra and the entire LEGO Games team. It's just a huge shout out to them. Um, They are the ones who really brought this together in partnership with our friends at LEGO House and, and across the group. So big, huge shout out to the team.
1: Yeah, I mean, this whole event was really cool, Brian. And of course, what was really frustrating for me is I had to leave on Saturday. Um, So I couldn't be there for the actual, you know, Guinness Book of World Record people to come and to make their announcement. Oh, that's a bummer. (laughs) That's the big event, the big sort of unveiling of
0: whether they broke the existing record and get to sort of place their stamp inside
1: the Guinness Book of World Records. Exactly, exactly. But... I did get this re- recording from Edgarus uh, that we should probably just listen to and then you we can find out right
3: now the minimum requirement for this record was 17.13 square meters and I've measured this diorama and I've done the calculations I can tell you that this diorama measures 21. Point zero four square meters, brand new Guinness World Records title.
1: So there you have it. This was, you know, the largest Lego brick diorama, uh, twenty-one point zero four square meters, which. I'm sure you can calculate in your head, Brian. How much is that in feet? Yeah, totally. I will tell you exactly without
0: any (laughs) pause because I'm that good at math. 226 square feet and
1: 68 square inches. Yeah, see, Uh, I knew you could uh, do it. You're that genius. Yes, you are. (laughs) And you know, this was achieved by by the team, and it's just amazing to see. It took three days to build, and consisted of approximately 400 kilograms of Lego bricks and there were over 1500 members of the public that took part in this and uh, gosh they i think they created what 500 over 500 rooms i think it says 540 just overall a real impressive event yeah
0: and you if you go to the guinness book of world records website you can actually see a picture of it it's like this big uh it, it looks a little bit like a massive apartment complex it's like this massive rectangle made up of all of these minifig sized rooms all of which are different little dioramas which we've obviously talked about but it's pretty pretty cool <music> the game was very well received by the lego group in fact it was so well received that some of the lego game team members were reluctant to rebuild their towers once they maxed them out so in lego tower once a player hits 50 floors they have the option to rebuild their tower essentially starting from scratch Something built into the game to keep it fun and exciting, but they simply didn't want to demolish their virtual
2: brick masterpieces, Ian said. They were very positive. I think there were a lot of internal competitions going to see who could keep uh, their tower the highest. They would always be asking us when the next next floors were coming in the next version because they had built them all and they were hungry for more. The game's arrival on Google
0: Play in Apple's App Store in July 2019 elicited what Ian called an interesting mix of responses from players. The studio also continued robust support for the game after launch.
2: A lot of NimbleBit fans downloaded and played it, and a lot of LEGO fans who had never played our games before played it. I think it was probably another kind of flavor of Tiny Tower for most of our NimbleBit players. And for Lego fans, it probably I think they were excited to have a game that was kind of a new genre as well as a new not franchise, but uh, something fresh and and not just another formulaic kind of um, sequel to something else. The business the casual simulation genre, I think has a lot wider appeal than some of the other games that were out at that time. So I think that the reception was, was pretty positive from both groups. In its
1: first year, about 9 million people downloaded the game. The game is still being updated today and is now approaching 20 million downloads. And Abhinav said that the experience creating the game was almost as fun as the game itself.
3: Working with Nimblebit has uh, frankly been a been a joy for a small team, they work hard, I mean, they are nimble. Sorry, excuse the pun, but they are very nimble in how they work and they really know the audience that they cater to. I think that has been very important when, uh, when you are that size, you have to be very focused on what you make, but also on what you do don't make because you cannot make uh, you know things which a 50 member team can make so being really focused on and being really player first driven i think has been a strength for nimblebit uh, but generally i think they are uh, you know as people i think they are they are some of the nicest people i've known in games it has been a pleasure uh, and actually a privilege for me working with uh, nimblebit working with them and seeing you know how uh, how they've been able to, you know, make uh, brilliant products, which, you know, which uh, a lot of the industry, a lot of the game uh, development industry, I think, uh, has a lot of respect for how they have, uh, you know, conducted their business over the years and how they have, you know, uh, been a beacon for indie developers uh, in terms of, you know, how to do well in the mobile gaming space.
1: Bits and Bricks is made possible by LEGO Games. Your hosts are Brian Crescenti and Ethan Vincent. Producing by Dave Tack. Our executive producer is Ronnie Scherer. Creative direction and editing by Ethan Vincent. Research and writing by Brian Crescenti. Art direction by Nanan Lee. Graphics and animations by Manuel Lindinger and Andreas Holzinger. Mixing and sound design by Dan Carlisle. Disclaimer voice is Ben Ungren. Openings child voice is Milo Vincent. Music by Peter Primer. Foundermusic.com and excerpts from the game Tiny Tower and Lego Tiny Tower. We'd like to thank our participants, Ian Marsh, Sean McAvoy, Edgar Aslashinkas, Abinaf Sarangui, and Jespa Bustol. We'd also like to thank the entire Lego Games team. For questions and comments, write us at bitsandbricks at Lego.com. That's bits, the letter N, then Bricks at Lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks.